Have you ever come across an odd myth, strange story, weird history, or something that just made you scratch your head and say to yourself, you know, I'd love to know a little bit more about that. Well, you're in luck, and you're in the right place listening to the right podcast, because this is the story of... Welcome to the next episode of the Story of Podcast. I am Smith. I'm Mike. I'm Joe. I'm Bill. And tonight we have another special, super special guest, historian, history teacher, YouTube guru, guru of the interwebs. Uh, You name it, this guy is at the top of the game. This man um, absolutely saved my ass for the first four years of my teaching because I had no idea what the hell I was doing. And I turned to him on a daily basis, and he never knew until now. Ladies and gentlemen, you guys know him as Hip Hughes. Uh, we, uh, we, we're we calling him Keith because we're on a first-name basis. Uh, so, ladies and gentlemen, uh, Hip Hughes, what's going on, Keith? How are you, buddy? Hey, guys. I'm really glad to be joining you. You, uh, you seem like a fun group. Um, and as uh, thankful as you are for watching my videos, um, I'm as thankful for you teachers showing them because it paid my alimony. So thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> so look, man, we, we we do what we can, right? But uh, you know, thirty seconds, you know, about about the YouTube. Um, you know, I made the YouTube when YouTube first came out. Um, it's called flipping your classroom when you, you know, don't want to talk in front of your kids, so you make you know MP3s. And in the day, I you know I would record MP3s and DVDs and. Teacher tube and school tube, and then YouTube came out. Um, so I just started throwing it like spaghetti up against the wall, you know, for my kids. Um, so we could do video production. And I taught for 16 years uh, in the US history classroom and AP government. My kids made about a thousand films. Um, but wow. the side effect of all that was, um, you know, I got on YouTube early and I'm a, pr- a pretty good storyteller, um, as there are so many teachers. Um, I just kind of lucked out with the timing and the algorithm. Uh, so the YouTube blew up. Uh, we had a 50 million views at this point. Uh, we do about 25,000 a day. Um, you know, every once in a while, I still make a video. I made a video on cannibalism the other day because I was hungry. Um, and that's about it. So uh, yeah. we love when teachers assign the videos because we make a lot more money. But anytime that, a, you know, a kid gets to use the video as a kind of, I call it as the first step on the ladder of learning. You know, you're not learning when you watch the video, but you're getting some concepts and some ideas. So when your teacher, you know, provides an experience for you, you're ready. Yep. And and as a teacher, I can attest to watching your videos uh, early on in my career when I really didn't know what I was doing uh, to know what, what it is. What should I highlight? What are the things that my kids should know? And then I was able to take that information, research it even more and bring it into my classroom. So. You really, like I said, you saved my ass multiple, multiple times. And and for that, sir, I thank you. And from the education community, I thank you, man. Always gobsmacked by, by teachers. So the respect goes, you know, all around. I appreciate it, man. Awesome. Um, I, I noticed that you said, and I watched it, uh, your, your latest video. I know we'll get started on the topic in a second, but I thought it was uh, relevant. You made your video about cannibalism, which was fucking awesome. And uh, you talked about uh, Nazino Island, and and we oh. did a two part episode on Nazino Island, the Russian cannibals, the, you know, the Russian cannibal story. That was one of Bill's picks. And so our topic tonight is assassinations and assassination attempts. We will bring you 
variety of stories uh, in which that involve assassinations, whether they are successful or not. You'll have to find out in the story. So Mike has agreed to go first. Mike, you are up, buddy. It's your story first, man. What you got? So I decided that I'm going to go with something I guess we would kind of, we should know about, but we really, a lot of people don't know about this story, and I didn't even know about this story. But I'm going to go after probably one of the most famous assassinations in American history, and that would be Mr. Abraham Lincoln. With Abraham Lincoln, obviously we all know how that ends. What I did was I went and I did a, an assassination attempt on Abraham Lincoln. And honestly, I didn't even know about this until I was like, I just wanted something different. Abraham Lincoln was elected president on November 6th, 1860. Um, and when he was elected, 10 out of the 15 states that allowed slavery really refused to vote for him because they were very much against his idea of trying to put an end to slavery. Um, and also with that happening, these other states started to feel that by Lincoln getting elected, it would then kind of stop the progress of slavery in the U.S. and also possibly stop it. On December 20th, 1860, South Carolina is the first state that actually leaves the United States. Um, mm -hmm. And then by February 1st, 1861, there's, I think, five or six other states that have now dropped out also and have, have seceded from the United States. So just a little bit of background of what's happening at this point. And he hasn't even stepped into office yet at this point. So he winds up deciding that he's going to take a railroad trip across the northern states from his home in Illinois to Washington. So he plans this whole trip, and it was supposed to help bring unity and show people that he was a man of the people. He winds up starting this whole journey, and what happens is people start to have a lot of rumblings about how much they don't like him and how they wanted to get rid of him. Obviously, as he's doing this whole trip, he's in the northern states, and it really becomes apparent to um, Samuel Felton, who is the uh, director of the railway in Wilmington, Baltimore, and Philadelphia. So he's okay. in charge of the railroads in that area. So what happens is he then starts to hear of all these things that are happening. And as a, as a businessman, he's trying to protect his investment, obviously being in charge of the railway. He winds up hiring a detective to try to find out what's going on, put his ear to the ground, see what people are saying. He hires a man by the name of Alan Pinkerton. Ah, uh, the Pinkertons. Yes. Pinkerton starts to work for Felton, and he starts to take his detectives and kind of spreads them all along this railway that Lincoln's going to be traveling, because he's afraid that if someone's going to attack Lincoln, they're going to do something to his railways, could be destroying his property, his bridges, mm. and therefore, you know, it's going to cost him a lot of money. So he was really doing it just to protect himself. Oh, yeah. He's got a lot of investment in that, too. Exactly. Pinkerton has detectives all over the place. And he winds up having um, a couple of detectives that are in Baltimore. And for some reason, it came to be that a lot of these people in Baltimore were more of uh, Southern sympathizers. So what they felt was, hey, you know, we have a right to have slavery. There's no reason why it should be taken away from us. 
Um, and there was even talk leading up to Lincoln's inauguration that they were actually going to have Maryland secede from the United States. So that's just a little bit of the backstory of what's mm-hmm. going on over there. So what winds up happening is Pinkerton actually has enough of his people around, and they're listening to a lot of the stuff that's going on. And what happens is Pinkerton finally finds this information and says, hey, listen, we really need to sit with Lincoln, and we need to let him know what's going on. Because if he's taking the railway, and he wanted to go with not a military presence, but just two of his bodyguards with him. So he puts himself at risk for being attacked and could be assassinated even before he was inaugurated as president. Yeah. From there, Pinkerton finally meets with Lincoln, expresses, hey, listen, this is what we're hearing. We really think that this is something we should try to avoid and maybe not go through uh, Baltimore. We should, you know, stop everything right now, your entire journey, and you're going to just come right to Washington and be safe. Don't stop anymore, because now everyone knows where he's going to be and when he's going to be there. So he's really putting himself in danger without even realizing it. And Lincoln's approach to it was like, no one's ever assassinated a president. You know, why? He's like, I I didn't do anything for these people to hate me so much. (laughs) And it was like, wow, man. I'm like, he's awfully confident, Uh, but but (laughs) (laughs) I was like... Really? Wait, history question. Was was Lincoln the first assassinated president? He was. Yeah. He was. Okay. I didn't realize that. I think it was a McKinley is the second. Yeah, Lincoln was feeling very confident in the fact that he didn't think that people felt that way about him that strongly and he couldn't imagine it because for him he you know, never seeing anybody ever, you know, any other president being assassinated. He was like, it's, you know, it's crazy. They're not going to kill me. <laughs> it's like he, he had to realize he was president at a kind of unprecedented moment. You know? Not really. The next thing was, so Pinkerton actually with his agents, and this is probably leading into before his meeting, he had these agents um, and they joined a secret society and it was called the Knights of the Golden Circle. Yeah, I've read about them. And so what's interesting, he had one of his agents that was able to get in with one of the guys that was in this group. And Mm -hmm. they finally, you know, he was working this guy over and, you know, he heard, you know, some rumbling about some stuff that was going to happen. So he's like, you know, if anything happens, you know, I really would like to be involved. You know, you know, he really came across as being a sympathizer to the, the Southern way of life. So the guy was able to go to the group and say, hey, you know, we, I got this guy. I really think he's, he's with us. So he vouches for him. He gets him involved in this group. They, they swear him in, and then they begin to tell him about the plot to assassinate Abraham Lincoln in Baltimore. Essentially, pretty much attack them at the railway as soon as the train pulled in. So when he gets to Baltimore, it's not like you hop from one train right to another. He literally had to go like across town to get on the next train that would bring him into Washington. And this is important because of how he actually winds up getting through all this. This, this, is, I, this is a fun fact. It's how they got Garfield, too. They got Garfield at the, the railway station in Baltimore. Yeah. 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 Yep. And Lincoln's son was there, just saying. Oh, was yeah. he? Yeah. And he was in Buffalo when McKinley got shot, too, just saying. 
and and was was McKinley wasn't was McKinley at a train station too in Buffalo? No, he was at they they uh, you know I live in Buffalo obviously, but they they built like a city in the city. So he was at like the fake music hall. Um, and you know, that's a different story, but you know, he had taken his lucky coronation flower off, given it to a little girl. And then five minutes later, his ass was shot. But, uh, <laughs> but, but, but Robert Todd Lincoln was there. Yeah. But, that's fucking crazy. Just, that's just nuts. But back to Baltimore. <laughs> All right. All right. Mike, take us to Baltimore. Go. We're talking about the, the Knights of the Golden Circle and the agent that was working for Pinkerton that gets in, they decided there was going to be one person that's actually going to be able to get the, the kill on Lincoln. Mm. So what they did was they used a ballot box and they had everybody pull a ballot out of the box. <laughs> I thought they would do straws. So what they did was they had these ballot boxes and pretty much you were able to draw it out. You pulled out an envelope and if you had a red letter inside, then you were going to be the one to get the fun, to get the kill, you're going to be the one to serve your country, as they like to say. Had fun with this. Lincoln. Made a game of it. Like, <laughs> is this like a Southern fraternity order, like a like a Fred Flintstone kind of lodge thing? <laughs> <In my opinion. laughs> the order of the moose. <laughs> yeah, like that, like the helmet, the fur shit. <laughs> Blew me away this part. So they're like, okay, there's only one, right? Wrong. They actually put eight separate red cards in there. And the reason why was they said, well, what if the guy that pulls it out gets a second thought and be like, you know what? I can't do it. All of a sudden, their whole attempt oh, would be gone. Well, they're eight, liars. That's a terrible lie. They put eight <laughs> red ballots in there for them to get. Not only racist, but they're liars. I have seven backup plans. Yeah, yeah, but like well, that that also creates a situation where it's just like, what if everybody was like, fuck yeah? Because <laughs> then you would think that someone went rogue and said, no, I want to be the one to do it. It would just kind of make you kind of up your game more. Like, say, if, <laughs> it sounds like a bad Tarantino movie. <laughs> right? Hey, these guys need a sport, man. Jesus. Yeah. <laughs> they wanted to make sure that the job was going to get done. Well, they didn't do point. a very good job, did they? No, they did not. <laughs> didn't work. So much for the red card dots in the end. John Wilkes Booth was like, hold my beer. <laughs> you got to make a comedy out of that shit, man. <laughs> this is awful. All right, Mike, keep going. This is fucking great. <laughs> okay, so now let's let's go to Lincoln is in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania, and he's out to dinner with the governor. And he has a meeting after that dinner with Pinkerton. Now, Pinkerton says to him, hey, this is true. I have an agent that's in there. They have a plot to kill you. He goes, we have to abort the rest of your trip. We've got to get you to Washington. we got to get you safe away from all this. Lincoln's like, fuck that. Lincoln was like, no. He's like, let let me sleep on it tonight. I was like, dude, he's like, I'm telling you, people are going to kill you. So the next day, uh, Lincoln decides. He's like, you know what? He asked his two security guys that were with him on the trip, and they he said, you know, what what do you guys think? They're like, listen, this this is legit. Like, we need to protect you. And being that we're traveling with just two bodyguards, there's no one out there. There's no military to protect you. Like, we need to just get you there and get you safe. So Lincoln goes to Pinkerton and says, okay. He goes, listen, I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'm just going to do it. I'll follow whatever you want. Perfect. Pinkerton's like, all right, we got a plan. So the, the first thing is, He's got to get from Harrisburg to Philadelphia. 
So he winds up taking the train. He winds up getting to Philadelphia. And the way that it comes in, he comes in from the train from Harrisburg. He literally has to run across the track to hop onto another train that's going to get him in Philadelphia. That's going to get him into Baltimore. So now, in order to get him to go along with it, there's there was an interesting thing that happened. One of his agents by the name of Kate Warren, she actually uh, was trying to get a separate car just to kind of keep him away from the other people. That way people didn't know him, didn't see who he was. So she said, listen, I'm traveling with my brother. He's very sick. You know, c- can he just have the last car all to himself? He's, you know, he's about to die. He's got COVID. Yeah, he's got COVID. <laughs> Sounds like he's really about to die. Yeah. <laughs> So the, the conductor of the train's like, you know what? We can do that. For you. I understand what you're going through. Like, I'm in. You know, he's like, okay. So obviously no one else could know that the president-elect is now pretty much running and hiding to yeah. get to safety. So they wind up getting in the car, and it's Pinkerton. It's uh, the, other, the other agent, Warren, and his two bodyguards. And they said that Lincoln was so like laid back and relaxed, and everybody else was on edge. Lincoln was telling jokes, like, you know, it's like a good old party. Honestly, what else is he going to do? I mean, he's, right, he's like, right. you know what? Exactly. Let's see what you Lincoln got. Lincoln was a cool fucking dude. I really think. Dude, I'm telling you. Yeah, I, I imagine he's going to, hey, they're going to kill me. They're going to kill me. Especially four and a half million deaths. He was pretty sharp. Yeah. <laughs> Killed almost half the country. Probably like, at least I'll see it coming. <laughs> you know, you know Link, Lincoln's in a sporting hall of fame. We all know that, right? No. What sporting hall of fame is was it? Was it football? boxing? Uh, it is wrestling. Oh, wrestling! Damn it! I he was not. A, he was not a pugilist, Joe. He was not a pugilist. No, he no. Was... And he actually wrestled some guy who uh, he was like the worst guy in town, the big bully, and he ended up defending his kid as a lawyer at a murder trial. I I feel like like not a good teacher. Thanks, Keith. I appreciate that. But uh, trust me, I have I have memory pro- problems. Don't worry. Okay, so now we're in Philadelphia. They are on the train, and they're on their way to Baltimore. The whole idea between this is they need to get from Philadelphia to Baltimore, and they have to do it in an inopportune time. That way they don't attract any attention. Mm-hmm. They actually get into Baltimore. It's around 2 o'clock in the morning. And instead of them running, because now they have to go across town. So instead of them taking, you know, getting out of the training and running across town, they had a horse-drawn carriage that attached the last car of that train to that carriage, and they literally dragged the train to the other side of town. That poor fucking horse, man. That horse, that's what I'm thinking. <laughs> How is that possible? Where's, where's the SBCA? Where's the humanities? It's like, oh, wait, it's like 18. So now they're in Baltimore. It's 2 o'clock in the morning. And they're going from one side of the town to the other, and they have to do it in such a way that they don't distract, they don't attract any attention. No, that's not, that's not going to attract attention. A horse, that's what I think. You're dragging a Pop fucking stone. train across town. Exactly. <laughs> What's the most inconspicuous way we can do it? Drag a fucking train with a horse. <laughs> I think he was trying to have him killed. <laughs> Who does that? I'm going to blow this kazoo along the way. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so it's it's two in the morning, and they're dragging a train across Baltimore. Am I correct? Across Baltimore. 
So they wind up making it to the other side of town. They attach the train on to the next train that brings him into Washington. Crisis is averted. Lincoln makes it. Everything is fine. Lincoln eventually gets inaugurated and becomes president. And now the story itself doesn't come out until years later when Pinkerton writes a book. And he is the one that actually discloses this whole entire story of what happened to Lincoln and how he was almost assassinated. And obviously... Years later, when it does come out, they said, listen, there's no way to go after any of these people. We didn't really know who a lot of them were. Mm-hmm. As a historian, I'm a little suspect. <laughs> a little suspect. Because Pinkerton writing this, he's writing like his like, self-biography. Yeah, really? I mean, I mean really, what a, great, what a great fucking story for him, huh? Right, yeah. right. Well, <laughs> is, there, is there anybody there that can I, at this point, you know what I mean? It's kind of like when John Smith writes his his second book about Pocahontas after Pocahontas is dead, and John Smith's like, yeah, yeah, I did all this crazy shit, you know? It's like the seventh book of the Bibles, right? Like 300 years after the guy's dead. But either way, what, what's that thing? Even if it's a myth, print the myth, the myth is a legend, the legend is history. It's a great story. That is yeah. good. The crazy story about Lincoln comes a little couple of years later after the Civil War. is in April. Yeah, you know? yeah. I was like, you know what? We've got to go a little, bit, a little more obscure. But I was like, this is such a cool story to tell. You know, odd, odd fact, his wife was like, look, we're going to go see this this play called My American Cousin. And Lincoln was like, I fucking saw that play, man. Like, I would rather die than go see that play. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> and, I, and I just dreamed I got shot at a play. So let's yeah. do it. Honey, I just told you that I, I saw myself die in a fucking theater last night. What? Really? Bravo, Mike. That's a good fucking story. Well done, story. sir. Well <laughs> done. Well done. Well done. Um, so. I'll, I'll take the next one, if you guys don't mind. The only reason why is that my story comes in in, uh, in 1870. It's not too far after Mike's. And so I'll, I'll continue the timeline there. And uh, I, I named this story that time the KKK assassinated a North Carolina state senator. Uh, and this, is, this, one's, this one's kind of a little, little wacky out there. And, and Keith, please feel free to jump in because this is right, this I, is right I, up I know remnants. Or I've heard strands of this, but I'm interested to hear, to hear, the, to hear the story in whole. So this one, this one's a good one. So it's the aftermath of the Civil War, right? We're in an era known as as Reconstruction, if you guys don't remember from high school history. And for those of you out there who may not remember it at all, it's 1865 to 1877. And we are, well, the United States is essentially reconstructing not only the United States, not only the South, but this new social system, this this whole new, you know, uh, economy that's going on in the South. And we're seeing these progressive movements in the South that's really aiming to now like franchise and assimilate former slaves right into this, this quote unquote, this brand new society. And so we have the, the, the rise of the KKK, the Ku Klux Klan, and they are going to be founded in December of 1865. And uh, what they want to keep is the continuation of the good old South, the, uh, the antebellum white supremacist South, and they're going to do anything they fucking can to keep the power in those hands, whether it be to circumvent the 13th amendment, you know, you name it, right. Essentially make it, um, make it illegal to be black in the South. Can I say the two best vocabulary words? Can I just say them? Go ahead. Do right, it. Because they hate obviously African-Americans and they hate carpetbaggers. And here it comes. And scallywags. Scallywags. I, I had to say it. I wanted to say it. 
And and it's funny, man, because people when they hear the word scalawag, I think a lot of people think of like pi pirates and shit, but it's not, right? I did screw the scurvy, and I was saying scallywag and the scurvy. Go ahead. Yeah, man. And so a a scallywag for for those of you out there is what a a, a white southerner uh, who essentially was part of the Republican Party who was considered to be a traitor to the South. They were a traitor to their own kind. So you get the term scallywag, right? The carpetbaggers were the Northerners that came down. Now I live in the South now. So I learned the difference between a Yankee and a damn Yankee. Uh, does anybody know the <laughs> difference between a Yankee and a damn Yankee? Is a damn Yankee a liberal? Close, close. It's because yeah, yeah. he's put in the Bronx. Isn't, isn't that what it is? <laughs> <laughs> so the Yankees are the Northerners and a damn Yankee is a Northerner that comes, that comes to, uh, comes to the South and does not leave. So I would be considered a damn Yankee. You've got this influx of Northerners and all this stuff is taking place in the South. You've got military reconstruction at the time. The South is essentially carved up um, and it looks very similar to the Hunger Games. You guys know the districts and all the yeah, Hunger Games, right? It looks very Good similar enough. to that. And and so there's there's multiple districts and they're all basically run by a military governor at that uh, the North uh, that the Union right, has put into place. We're looking at it's 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 right away. You've got the KKK and they are running this racial terrorist campaign. It's legitimately racial terrorism. And they're going to start lynching people, you know, immediately. And they're going to it's just it's just essentially chaos in some ways. And I don't mean to say this and Keith, maybe you you'll understand what I mean by this. But it was almost almost safer when slaves were in slavery than it was after the Civil War to well, be free. Going around, yeah, the chaos and the KKK, and I'm going to use animal zoo analogy without being a racist, but the animals are safer before someone opens all the doors to the zoo. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like people are going to shoot them and hunt them and kill them. And uh, yeah. I can't even imagine what it would be like with no education and you know, no, you're not not being able to read, and your family's no. ripped away from you, and you have no skills, and then suddenly yeah. you're free. You know, yep. with, with these guys with white robes and guns, yeah. And no money, and it's illegal to be homeless, and it's illegal to have no money, right? And and so, I mean, it's insane, right? So right away, you get, like I said, we got the KKK, they're lynching people, but they're also targeting white politicians. They're targeting anybody who is white that they consider to be a traitor to. And so even if you were a white man, uh, you were still in trouble. You know, when you look at the Massachusetts 54th, right? Um, especially during the Civil War as well, they they made the, the you know the declaration that if you were a white officer in charge of black soldiers, you are going to be summarily executed along with the black soldiers immediately. Ethnic products going to get shot. Yes, exactly right. And so you know, it, in that weird kind of twisted way, there was and there was equality right in the eyes of the white racists in the South. It was pretty sick, but in a, in a twisted way, it was. So, anyways, enter John W. Stevens. Uh, now he is a uh, a North Carolina state senator. His nick his, his full name is John Walter Stevens. His nickname was Chicken, and now Chicken uh, it, it did not have to do with anything cowardly. It honestly it, does anybody know? Take want to take a wild guess why they call him Chicken? No, no, <laughs> he did not choke a chicken. Uh, no, he fucking stole a chicken. That was literally what it was. He was accused of stealing a, a a chicken one time, and so they just called him Chicken. And so he is this radical. He's a radical Republican. And the radical Republicans, what made them radical was they wanted equality. That was fucking radical, right? They wanted equality within the South. And so this dude, uh, Chicken Stevens, he, he, you know, he is a supporter of the Freedmen's Bureau. He is, uh, you know, again, he's he's supporting franchising, you know, African-Americans. He is part of the Union League. He's also the justice of the peace in Caswell County. 
And so, you know, what he's trying to do is he's trying to get African-Americans and newly freed slaves uh, to vote for the Republican Party. Now, for those of you out there, the Republican Party in 1870 and the Democrat Party of 1870 are not the Republican and Democratic parties today. They're essentially flipped. The Republicans were mainly in the North. The Democrats were the party in the South that were in charge of trying to reclaim the South for the antebellum leadership. So Republicans right under Lincoln were the ones that freed the slaves. And so obviously, if he's trying to get black folks to vote Republican and you've got, you know, somewhere along the lines of, you know, three million new franchise, three to four million new franchise slaves coming out, he's going to piss off a lot of his white neighbors, right? They are not going to be happy with this dude. And again, they're going to consider him this, this type of scalawag. So anyway, a couple of side notes about this guy. He was uh, not the nicest, you know, he was known to use extortion um, and arson. And he steals chickens, we know that. And he's and he's a fucking chicken stealer, and uh, you, you know, and to to you know, essentially, you know, get his political goals put in. He also worked as an informer for the Republican governor William Holden, uh, and so he, you know, Holden was definitely snitch. not. Yeah, he was a snitches, and snitches get stitches. Yeah. And um, and so you know, he was again not a very popular guy. And another side note, totally unrelated, but he might he might have killed his mother. Oh, by the way, Dickens that he killed his mother. I'm just saying, man. I'm so just saying. She died of, and and I quote, she died of a quote slit throat. I don't know. Um, he claims he claims she fell that down she the stairs. Mike, is that a is that a medical condition? <laughs> I'm sure I, I can find that. He passed naturally of a slit throat uh, in the middle of the night in his bed. Uh, so uh, the story goes that uh, the story he gave was that she accidentally fell against the jagged edge of a broken chamber pot. And so, you know, these things happen. These things happen. So, bring it down. <laughs> so, do they really? Down. I don't know. <laughs> so, so May twenty first, eighteen seventy, is a busy day at the Caswell Courthouse. You got folks that are there. They're declaring their taxes, right? There is also a major conservative convention. We would call that a I don't know KKK rally uh, taking place in the middle of the court. Uh, you know, the the, the courthouse. Uh, yeah, it's a busy day. Stevens gets, uh, he's there and he's, he's taking notes, you know, and he's, he's watching this conservative uh, meeting, but they all know he's a fucking snitch. So this one dude uh, lures him downstairs and, and this guy was going to run for sheriff and he was going to supposedly run uh, for the Republican party. Dude's about six foot eight. And so he's like, yo, look real quick. I just want to talk to you about running in this race, right? And uh, Stephen's like, yeah, no problem. So they go down and um, they go, you know, towards the end of the hallway and down the stairs and to this room. And they uh, they he walks in the room. And again, we referenced this uh, about two weeks ago. Jersey Goodfellas, when uh, Joe Pesci walks in the room. Right. And he's like, oh, fuck. <laughs> so they close the door, they lock it. And there are eight men sitting and standing in this room and it's a it's a room in which they uh they had wood piles right and you know they obviously furnaces and things like that and that's the you know they have wood burning stoves to keep warm so anyways he goes in and let me let me read you a uh I'm, I'm gonna read you from a newspaper this is uh this is an excerpt from an article that was printed in the new york times february 26th 1873 known as Life in North Carolina, the murder of Senator John W. Stevens. A terrible scene, 
Raleigh, North Carolina, February 25th. Mr. Bowman, Republican, related from the sworn evidence of one of the parties present, the particulars of the murder of Senator John W. Stevens of Caswell, which occurred in June of 1870, and that warrants had been issued for the guilty parties. He stated that a Democratic meeting was in progress in the courthouse in Yanceyville, the county seat of Caswell, that Stevens was in attendance on that meeting, that a prominent Democrat of Caswell approached Stevens with a smile and asked him to go downstairs with him. Stevens assented, and they went into a room formerly occupied by the clerk. Here's the yacht, ready? The clerk of the Court of Equity, which was the room they walked him into. A little irony there, right? That as soon as they entered the room, the door was locked. There were there that were in the room eight white men and one black man. Stevens was surprised to find a room full of men and was struck with horror when a rope fixed to a lasso was thrown over his neck from behind. He was then told by the spokesman of the Ku Klux crowd that he must renounce his Republican principles, that he believed they were right and that the Republic would prosper if they carried out, that he could not leave the country or the state because his was all there that the colored people looked upon him as a leader and that they depended on him and that he could not desert him. So he was supposed to renounce everything, but stay there and essentially work to undermine, right? The African-Americans in that area on behalf of the KKK under threat of death. So Stevens was then told that he must die because he said, no, he then asked to be allowed. And here's where it got a little sad to me. Now, regardless, look, I know a guy might've killed his mom, uh, yeah, kind of a shithead, you know what I mean? Stole some fucking chickens and things. But Stephen sold is that he must die. He then asked to be allowed to take a last look from the window of the office at his home and any of his family that might be in view. His house was 500 yards away from the room that he's in. The request was granted. And when Stephen stepped to the window, he beheld his little home and his two little children playing in the front yard. Oh, he was damn. Then yeah, so he's watching his kids play as like this. I can imagine this tear is just kind of coming down his eye just a little bit, right? And uh, he's then thrown down on a table with two Ku Klux Klan members holding his arms. The rope is ordered to be drawn tighter, and the black man is ordered to get a bucket to catch the blood. This done, one of the crowds severed the jugular vein. So they pulled his head back with the rope. They cut his throat, and um, he bleeds into the bucket. When Stevens was dead, his body was laid on a large pile of wood in the room, and the murderers went upstairs. They took part in the meeting, stamped and applauded at the Democratic, Democratic speeches. And so nobody is, is even tried for this because what happens is the, the governor, William Holden, he declares martial law. And remember, this is one of his boys, right? So Holden declares martial law, and he's like, fuck that. We're shutting the city down. We're going to get these dudes, right? And we're going to put them in jail. Well, problem is, he uh, he did not have the General Assembly <laughs> behind him. And he's impeached immediately uh, by the legislature, and he is convicted for, quote-unquote, illegally declaring martial law. And he is run out of town, uh, replaced with a Democrat governor. And um, so then they bring a couple of suspects one of the suspects names is john w lee captain john w lee of the confederate you know uh, the csa and so he and a bunch of guys are are led into the courthouse and they are cheering crowds around them right they are all cheering these guys in and they get questioned for hours and hours and none of them says a word 
nothing, right? They all keep their mouths closed, right? They go full blue wall silence on this shit. They leave the courthouse and they're greeted by hundreds of people. And these people, they, they pull a fucking Rudy and they grab these guys and they put them up on their shoulders and they parade them through town. <laughs> and they're, you know what I mean? They're up there like this. I, I and play the Rudy music on test days when I talk. Now you'll never look at it the same. And so yeah. <laughs> they, they pull the Rudy and they're all cheering and, 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 and going and no one is ever, they're not even charged with this murder, which is no surprise. How we know who took place and what really happened is in 1919, Captain John W. Lee, uh, he was the lead suspect, right? He wrote out his version and he literally, he just called it, quote unquote, the true story. And of the events of that day, and he speaks to what is known as uh, the only information I could find on it was just called the Historical Commission, which I assume is probably the Historical Commission of North Carolina. And he gives his, quote unquote, his confession. But he tells him, you can't have this. You cannot unseal this until I am dead. <laughs> wow. That's it. Or you don't get it. <laughs> I'm betting it didn't make itself into the New York, New uh, North Carolina state textbooks. Yeah, no, no, that this is not it. It will now, but <laughs> it's it's gonna make it into a few classrooms now. So this one is this stays sealed until September twenty ninth, nineteen thirty five, when at aged ninety two, Captain John W. Lee dies uh, a nice long death, and the the truth finally comes out. Now here's the kicker to the story: Stevens is taken and he's buried in an unmarked grave. Right for decades upon decades, eventually they find where he's buried, and mysteriously, a plot comes up. Somebody puts a gravestone. It's etched, right? John W. Stevens, just to fuck this guy just a little bit more. Underneath his name, they also carve in CSA Patriot, which means CSA Soldier and Patriot. So on his gravestone, he is labeled as a Confederate soldier. And a yeah. Confederate patriot. They just they just jam them in just a little bit more. Everyone looks at it like that racist fuck. That folks, that is the time that the KKK assassinated a sitting North Carolina state senator named John Chicken Stevens. Uh, I hope you enjoyed. Wow, good story. Excellent nice. storytelling, man. Short, sweet, and to the point. I, I should have went before you. I don't want to go now. <laughs> no, 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 no. I had to make sure that I go before you because nobody's going to want to follow you. I don't have any research. I just have some like random facts in my head that I'll make a story out of. It's all good. Go for it. All right, Keith, you're up, buddy. All right. So those are really two great ones. Uh, so we're going to try to top it with the, uh, the inability of someone to kill a bull moose. Um, and, and a lot of people have heard this story <laughs> just because it makes Teddy Roosevelt like such a fucking gangster. Like, it really, really does. Um, and I think I told this story on a show, like, Badass Americans. Like, <laughs> it, 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 I mean, really, because it, it, it's such a true concept. And it really also shows how different the parties were back then. And I think it's an important, you know, piece of, of political history. Um, mm. We have terms that we taught, you know, government classes of uh, de-alignment and realignment. Um, yep. And you guys were mentioning before about, you know, about how the parties aren't like they used to be. Um, and for a little while, the Republican Party is like the most progressive party, you know, not just because of Lincoln and the radical Republicans, but they go through this kind of like, you know, this dry spell, you know, when you have uh, non-progressive Republicans or, you know, Democrats that are 
that are like, uh, you know, uh, like grants who are really not doing all they can to help African-Americans. So uh, William McKinley, um, who we previously mentioned, uh, was assassinated in Buffalo, the Pan-American Exposition in 1900, right after, you know, he was reelected. So his running mate was chosen on purpose in order to garner the votes of uh, New Yorkers and more progressive Republicans, because William McKinley was a, more of a conservative Republican. Um, you know, we weren't talking about conservative issues like today. It was more like the gold standard and sort of, you know, mm -hmm. regulation and deregulation or not regulating uh, capitalism, kind of economic issues. So lo and behold, he picks Teddy Roosevelt, this progressive Republican. Um, and I would argue, other than Abraham Lincoln, you know, really, the, those are the only two progressive Republican presidents we've really ever had. Yeah. McKinley gets shot. He gets shot in Buffalo. And it was interesting because Teddy Roosevelt was camping with his family in the Adirondacks. And, you know, they brought him in right away. Um, and he thought McKinley was going to be OK. So he went back mm. camping, killing moose or bear. I think he was bear hunting. <laughs> yeah. Really? He was shooting the teddy bears. He was shooting teddy bears. Um, and then lo and behold, you know, McKinley died. And uh, they, they had a hard time getting hold of Teddy. But he came back. And um, if we study history, we all know that's kind of the progressive era when he's taking yep. on kind of what governors like, you know, the Republican La Follette was doing in Wisconsin and really nationalizing that, you know, um, preserving and creating the national park system. Um, he mm -hmm. invited Booker T. Washington to the White House, you know, the first African-American to die inside the White House. That's where you're going to get the heat up between W.E.B. Du Bois and Booker T. Washington, especially, right? And then you're going to get that nice separation uh, as far as the beginning of the Niagara movement, you know, and the end. Of yeah, the their ACC. philosophies. Yeah, there's a lot of civil rights stuff going on um, with Teddy Roosevelt, as well as, you know, progressive reforms in the economy. You know, we have, uh, you know, going after Standard Oil and he's going after monopolies and he's, you know, breaking mm -hmm. up trusts and he's doing things for the little people. He's being progressive. And then he serves a second term. So this would be what, uh, 1904 to 1908. And then in 1908, you know, he sort of sees the writing on the wall, the, you know, the George Washington writing of like, you know, who better than me? <laughs> you better mm -hmm. than me? I don't think. So he, he sort of hands the baton over to Howard Taft. Yes, that was his protege, essentially. Yeah, his protege, you know. Um, fattest American president, by the way, once got stuck yep. in the bathtub. But anyway... Roosevelt kind of goes off on his own to do his own thing, to hunt or kill bears or write books or, you know, whatever he does. Um, and he is sadly disappointed at what Howard Taft does during that first term. Um, he reverses many of uh, Teddy Roosevelt's programs. He starts allowing, like, like lumbering and, and drilling and stuff on national, you know, park areas. So mm -hmm. by 1912, uh, Teddy is pissed. Um, he's pissed. He feels as though his legacy has been kind of pissed on. Um, and he is raring to come back and take that scepter back from Howard Taft. So the convention was held. And now if you ever have a convention, don't hold it in Chicago. I don't know why the Democrats are having their convention in, in Chicago. Because we they all remember Chicago it. 1968, you know, if you study yep. history. But not many people remember Chicago 1912. You know, that was another raunchous, like, like, like throw your hats down, you know, punch in the face convention because yeah. it wasn't a split in the Democratic Party. It was that progressive conservative split in the Republican Party. Mm -hmm. um, and Teddy 
doesn't win the nomination. Howard Taft maintains the nomination. Um, Woodrow Wilson wins the Democratic nomination, right? What a racist yep. he is. But anyway, um, so rather than, you know, tuck his tail between his legs and go home, he creates his own party, the Progressive Party. And of course, he wins his own nomination. And uh, it's also called the Bull Moose Party. We'll find out in a while. The Bull Moose Party. <laughs> bull Moose Party, you know, you can't kill a bull moose. Um, and he starts to do kind of like this, you know, like, you know, train, you know, kind of campaign across America. You know, he sees himself as, as, as the people's, you know, president. He wants to be on the ground. He wants common folk, the worker man, unions. Mm -hmm. You know, he was one of the first progressive, one of the first presidents to support unions, which he did. And he broke yep. up strikes and stuff like that. But what he doesn't know is that there's a crazy, like, uh, German immigrant in New York. He doesn't even know this guy exists. His name is John Schrank. And he was born in, I think, uh, Bavaria. Um, and he mm. came to the United States, New York City, when he was like nine years old with his parents. And they were saloon, or I forget like what the order of events is, but they die right away. This guy's got death all around him. So he's adopted by like his uncle and aunt who were saloon keepers. And when he turns 17 or 18, they die. And he yes. takes over the saloon. So everyone in this family has died. Um, and I'm assuming the guy had schizophrenia or he was bipolar. He had issues. The dude had issues. I don't know if it what put him over the edge, but not a lot of people are aware of the it's the, called the General Slocum disaster. But it's the, the 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 second most tragic event in New York City history after 9-11. Like a thousand people died on this Jesus. boat. It was like a passenger, so uh boat. So I think it was like a Presbyterian club that had rented it out, you know, right around 1912, maybe before. And uh, they were taken down the river to go to a picnic. And the boat, like, was never up kept. There was no regulation. The life preservers were kept outside for six years, right? So they were shredded as shit. And to pass Jesus. regulation law, they had to weigh so much, right? Because of the buoy inside it yeah. or the cork. Or, but to get it to weigh enough, they put metal in the corks to weigh it. Yeah, and, and have you ever seen some? I swear. Let me chime in as a scientist here. Metal is not a good thing to float. Just no, I'm not a mechanical <laughs> guy. But if I'm if I'm swimming, I'm not wearing a metal fucking suit. That's there you go. We got the scientist. <laughs> Look at what people wear in 1912. Like a woman, right? Yeah. She's not in like jeans and a shirt. She's got like that fancy shit with the frills and like underpants. It's, yeah, it's all it kinds gets of wet. That weighs. That shit weighs like 70 pounds if that gets wet. Like, you're fucked, man. You're done. You're going down yep. with the fretted, metal-infested life jacket around your dying ass. Absolutely. <laughs> you read the story of the Slocum. You know, like, the captain had, had, had got it off to one of the shores. He's not on the fucking ocean. He's on, like, the East River, you know? Like, it's yeah. not like he's, like, it's, it's not Titanic. <laughs> yeah. He, he's not that far in the water. No, it's not that far, but someone like threw a smoke out, you know, and started a fire. <laughs> All he's got to do is pull over, everyone get off the boat. He runs into the headwind, right? So the fire gets flamed. The next thing you know, you got the flaming <laughs> boat of death on New York Tarot oh, with God. ladies with frilly dresses jumping out with broken life jackets with metal in them. A thousand people died. And unfortunately, we come back to John Shrank. His fiance was on the boat. Right, oh, this Jesus. sucks. So this is where we get weird, gentlemen. So um, apparently, John Shrank um, had a dream, 
And I'm not going to get all the specifics, but I know that he saw a coffin. And then there was a monk that told him to look at the coffin. The coffin opened. And William McKinley, dressed as a monk, came out of the coffin and looked at John Shrank and said, avenge my death. And then he pointed to a picture of Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt. Wow. That's how it started. Well, the, I would I would do it too then, if that's what William McKinley told me to do. Yep. I would not do it. I would not do it. I would think that I'd go to a doctor and I'm like, dude, I'm having fucked up dreams, you know? But anyway, I guess, I guess a mental uh, health uh, disease wasn't as accepted back then. So you can't do it. No, probably not. No. So he ends up buying a 38 caliber in New York and he goes on the hunt, you know? Um, he, he followed him down to New Orleans, I know. Um, and then from New Orleans um, in the summer, he followed him all the way up to uh, Milwaukee you know, Wisconsin. And along the way, like he had a waking dream. Um, he was writing in his journal and he said that he turned around and there was William McKinley again. Like, what the fuck you doing? I already told you to do it once. So tell you again, avenge my death. Um, and he, you know. <laughs> Just a reminder. Yeah. So, he caught, yeah. so he caught up to him, um, I think October 14th, 1912, he caught up to him in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And Teddy had been eating, I forget the restaurant, like a local mm -hmm. supporter had fed him dinner. And then he was going to give a speech at, like, the Milwaukee convention. You know, like yeah. 10,000 people were waiting for him. So he walks out, you know, of the restaurant waving to the crowd. And John Shrank was literally two feet from him. And he actually pointed the yeah. gun at his head. At his head. And as he pulled the trigger, um, another immigrant, like another German immigrant, like, hit his hand. And, and as it went Holy down. shit. As it went down, it, it, it fired off. His whole Secret Service team jumped on the guy. He had ex, like he had football players and wrestlers and shit. Um, he had uh, what do you call it? rough riders? Former rough riders. Wow. Yeah. All right. That makes sense. He turned to his friend uh, Harry, uh, who was a press driver, and he said, I, "He pinked to me." And as they were jumping on this guy, and the crowd is ready to lynch him with a bullet in his lung, almost Roosevelt demands that the crowd bring yeah. him the suspect. So this is gangster. So they bring John Shrimp face to face with Roosevelt. Teddy thought maybe he would recognize him or he would know him. He didn't know him. So he looked right at him eye to eye. And he said, why yeah. did you do it? You know, why'd you do it? Shank didn't say anything. So Teddy um, said, well, I want the police to take him away. I don't want this young man harmed. So he kind of calmed the crowd down. The guy would have got ledged, no doubt. Climbs into the car and looks at the wound. Now, Two lucky things. Actually, like three, right? <laughs> Number one, the guy is a windbag. He's got a speech 50 pages long, <laughs> folded in half in his in his jacket. So that's on display. If you Google that shit, you will see <laughs> a 50-page speech with two holes in it because it was folded. And the speech, this is great. He's a Republican. You want to know the speech's name? I'm going to get it wrong. It's like progressive causes greater than the individual. It's like a communist name. It's got a communist <laughs> name. It's a communist manifesto. Yeah, for real. Dave's a Republican, yeah. There's eyeglass case there, too, and the bullet kind of, you know, dinged off that. Um, and Roosevelt was an avid hunter. He was an anatomist. He knew the human body. He knew how, you know, flesh wounds looked. Um, and he kind of looked at it, and it hadn't penetrated into his lung. He knew that. He wasn't coughing up blood. So it was somewhere in his rib cage or something. So, of course, they wanted... They wanted him to take him to the hospital, but Teddy demanded to give the speech. The dude gave a 93-minute speech with a bullet 
made his lung. Okay. And I'll get the words wrong, but you know, he said something to the crowd of the effect, the famous line being, I don't know if you know, but you know, I was shot tonight and the bullet's still in me, but it's gonna take a lot more um, than that to kill a bull moose. That's kind of the famous bull moose. Wow. Yeah, it's great. Now he lost the election. It's why, you know, uh, Woodrow Wilson, mm. the Federal Reserve, and the, the racist elements of that Democratic Party got into the White House. Um, Shank refused yep. to plead insanity. But the judge was like, I don't fucking care. You're crazy. You have to. <laughs> and he was found <laughs> not guilty by reasons of insanity. Um, and he lived to like, age 67. Wow. Uh, 1942, he died in the uh, Wisconsin, you know, mental insane asylum or whatever it was but um that's the story of how you can't kill a bull moose so. well done sir story well done itself. well done that is a fucking master class in storytelling right there what are you telling you didn't want to follow me get the fuck yeah out but I, I probably made up half the shit's not true <laughs> <laughs> i'm no, looking up i don't see anything about this Teddy roosevelt guy he, he doesn't exist yes <laughs> Teddy Roosevelt wasn't real. What are you talking about? <laughs> now, I, let me, correct me if I'm wrong. So let me ask you. I had heard a story that Teddy was kind of also unliked within his own party. And that, you know, at that time period, if you wanted to end somebody's political career, you made him the vice president. And, he, and they were afraid of him in New York politics. The New York, you know, the, the Tammany Hall people, um, you know, the ones that controlled everything. They yes. did not want this guy around. So uh, that was one of the reasons why he was chosen. Exactly. And so it's like this, there's the was, yeah. yeah, make him the vice president. Yeah. What's the worst that can happen? Yeah, like, he'll never be president. We'll end his career right yeah, there. It's like Lincoln. <laughs> fucking... Like, why don't we bring a racist on board like Andrew Johnson, who's really a Democrat? That's a good idea. <laughs> yeah. What's, what's the worst, what's worst that can happen? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and then McKinley gets popped, you know? That's fucking hilarious, man. I want to know what McKinley looks like as a monk. Because uh, McKinley was one of the most evil-looking bastards I've ever seen. That dude's eyebrows. What's the guy from The Simpsons? He's like, uh, yeah, who's the guy yeah. who owns the factory in The Simpsons? What is that, uh, Mr. Burns? Yeah. Dude, his eyebrows, like, in the middle of the eyebrows come up, and it's insane. Like, that guy is, he... He looks like, uh, you know what he looks like? He looks like a, the, the, the Wizard of Oz, right? The wizard, the actual wizard. If he was like... If he was a bad Sith Lord, yeah. you know, like that's... Right. He was confident. Yeah, if he was a bad guy, that's what he would look like, right? This is, <laughs> this is, this is the second episode in a row where we've talked you know about McKinley's eyebrows. You know eyebrows like that? And another cartoon kind of character that wasn't that bad is Gargamel. Gargamel had fucked up eyebrows. Yeah, <laughs> he did. Gargamel was... He, that's right. He's a terrible villain, too. He was just so absolutely. Apples. He never caught a spark. He had like 10 years to catch his work. Not once. Not once. Not once. He was okay. fucking pathetic, Argamellet. He's a terrible role model. <laughs> Camp, it's all you, buddy. All right, so I got to finish up. I'm batting cleanup here for you boys. I'm going to continue on the presidential assassination turn. Um, attempted assassinations. Mm. Uh, the ones I'm going to talk about, I think we all know, but I found some cool history trivia with it so let's start in 1975 with president ford Ooh, okay president ford is in california he's in sacramento and he's meeting with governor jerry brown 
and uh, he's walking across the lawn of the Capitol building to go meet the governor. And this lady walks up to him and reaches out her hand. And he thinks she's trying to shake his hand. And she has a pistol in her hand. And she pulls the trigger. And the bullet does not come out of the gun because oh. it wasn't loaded properly. <laughs> Secret Service tackles her. They, uh, they arrest her. They take her away. And in, in a Roosevelt fashion, Ford goes along with his day and goes to his next meeting, you know, unfazed by the event. So the woman who attempted the assassination was from California, named Lynette Fromm, or Squeaky Fromm. Squeaky Fromm. That's a, that's a famous oh, name. famous yeah, lady. You have to be famous to be famous with that name. Yes, it is. Part of the Manson family. Part she of the Manson family, that's one right. Of, uh, Charlie Manson's girls. She wasn't involved in the Sharon Tate killings, but she was part of the family. And it was not, re- the, the attempt on Ford was not related to the Manson family. He was an environmentalist and uh, she lived in California. And she was afraid that California was passing very negative laws against the environment, specifically the Redwood Trees and the Clean Air Act. And things like that. So she felt the environment was being harmed. So she figured, well, if the if the government's going to harm our environment, I'm going to harm the government. And her her Boom. motive was, I'm going to take out the president <laughs> to show, you know, like did, like didn't Nixon start the EPA? She's not that smart. <laughs> yes. yeah. What she does is she gets a pistol. She gets an, an, a 1911 45 caliber pistol. But she doesn't know how to load it properly. She thinks the ma- the magazine is loaded with the bullets, but she never actually racked the gun. And, and so, if YouTube was a thing, then she'd be dead. But he'd be dead. <laughs> oh yeah, definitely. yeah, pretty much. It was, it was point blank range, but she just didn't get a shot off until and then they uh, they tackled her and got her out. She gets arrested. She uh, goes on trial. She gets a little crazy during trial. She throws an apple at the district attorney. Like just, yeah. <laughs> I mean, geez, that's use, a, use a pineapple. <laughs> yeah. At least it's spiky. Well, uh, like, who leaves apples laying around? Why is there? <laughs> Why is there an apple laying like? Yeah, it was laying around the courtroom. What the fuck? <laughs> it was snack next day, to Squeaky yeah, from. Did Joe, Joe, you just said it was snack day. <laughs> it was snack day at the court. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Bring an apple to court day. <laughs> yeah. Make it fun. I bet you if she would have loaded it correctly and she would have shot, he probably would have tripped and, and she would have missed him because that, that, was, that was kind of his thing. <laughs> she goes on trial and Ford actually has to testify at trial. So trivia number one, the first U.S. president to testify in a criminal trial, Gerald Ford. trial. Wow. I, got, I got a lot of good trivias for you today. So she goes to jail. Um, she escapes for a few days. They reapprehend her, put her back in. And um, I'm sorry. Wait, can you go back to that? She escapes. Yeah, I read that. She escaped prison. Yeah, I didn't read into how she escaped, but she escaped for a little, like uh, just a few days. And they they reapprehended her, brought her back in. Gerald Ford <laughs> dies in 2006 of natural causes, and she is paroled in 2009. And she is still alive. She lives. In an undisclosed location in upstate New York, <laughs> folks. I don't know where. Wait a minute. Keith, I, you better watch out. I got a housekeeper. Yeah, yeah, Keith, Wait look out, man. man. <laughs> <laughs> she is a serial apple thrower now. So if you see 
Apples. Right, if I ever hire again, I'll get rid of the fruit before she comes. <laughs> Funny story about her before this event. She goes to a, a Led Zeppelin concert in Long Beach, and she is mm-hmm. frantically trying to get in touch with Jimmy Page, one of my idols for sure. Yeah, and she wants to tell Jimmy Page, like he's in danger, like something bad is going to happen at this concert. Zeppelin can't play the concert; they have to cancel it. So she's talking to like the band's manager or something, and the manager's like, "Okay, you fucking psycho! Like, wh- yeah, I'll I'll give him the message, no problem." And she goes on her way. Two days later, she's on the news for attempting to assassinate the president, and Zeppelin's like, "Holy shit, that's that lady." That <laughs> I thought you were going to say it was like after that show that John Bonham dies. I was going to be I'm like, just impressed you brought Led Zeppelin into an assassination story. Pretty impressive. There you go. I, I do my best. Well played. That's Joe Ford's first ass- assassination attempt. Not even a month later, he's in San Francisco, still in California, and he's leaving a hotel. This other lady named Sarah Moore fires a shot from a 38 caliber revolver across the street. The shot goes off, but it misses Ford. And as she's about to take a second shot, this guy next to her tackles her, disarms her, and, and you know she goes to jail and everything. So he had two assassination attempts in California Jesus. by women, and both of them missed or you know didn't go off or whatever. Her backstory is kind of funny too. She had been planning an assassination and she was she knew how to use a firearm. Ironically, like a day or so before, she gets busted by the police. They take her illegal firearm so she doesn't have a gun. So the day <laughs> of, she goes out, Boiled. she buys a gun and like just a random used gun, but she never sighted it and the sights in the gun were off. So when she's aiming it at Ford, she shoots over his head because she's not sighted in properly. Holy shit. Two firearm malfunction, basically, that saved Gerald Ford's life, which is crazy. Wow. So here's your, here's your trivia, right? Fromm and Moore are the only two women that have ever been charged with attempting to assassinate a president. And it was the same president in the same state, you know, just weeks apart. They both went to prison. They both escaped prison. They both got recaptured. <laughs> They were both sentenced to life uh, sentences, but they were both released early too. They uh, they were both released after Ford's death, and uh, they should they're both up. still alive. <laughs> they living in upstate New York with, with I Keith. don't know where Moore is living. They should do a podcast, is what they should do. All right, more trivia for you. you. You history guys probably know this. I didn't know this, which I thought was very cool. Before Ford, Richard Nixon is president. His vice president, Spiro Agnew, resigns hmm. from the vice presidency. Tax man. And the under the Constitution, man. that gives Nixon the power to assign the vice presidency. So he assigns it to Gerald Ford. Then Nixon resigns. He was never voted. Gerald Ford becomes president. First president in history that was never voted, never voted into- as president or vice president. And I was like, wow, I didn't know that could even happen. That was Gerald Ford. Then we move a few years later to the probably the most popular common known one is Ronald Reagan. This is in 1981. Reagan is in a Washington, D.C. hotel talking to a union, uh, giving a speech at a union event. And this is like, you know, it's it's Washington, D.C. We know the area. We know the hotel. He's he's going to walk 
like 10 feet from the hotel to the car. It's it's not a big deal. So they don't give him a bulletproof vest. They don't really, you know, they don't bring their A game, let's say. Uh, they still have their basic security. But this gentleman named John Hankley gets very close, very, very close to the president. Mm. And uh, as the president passes by him, Hankley fires off six shots from a 22 caliber revolver, hits the White House press secretary named James Brady, hits a James few Brady, secret Brady Brady agents, and the last bullet ricochets off the limo and goes into Reagan and pierces his lung, makes his lung collapse, and he's rushed to the hospital. After emergency surgery and everything, Reagan is, is saved, he's alive, and he's okay. Uh, he spends about a week or so in the hospital. And they temporarily lost the nuclear codes, too, when he went to the hospital. They didn't know where they were. Yes, I did read about that. They yeah. lost his personal belongings, which had the gold co gold cards, which were the nuclear codes. <laughs> Everyone knows that story. They know about James Brady. James Brady ends up surviving the shooting. Yep. But he becomes paralyzed. He's uh, confined to a wheelchair. He gets the White House press secretary room named after him to this day. It's yep. called the James yep. Brady press secretary room. He gets a new law. Um, well, the, the law was, was uh, passed in 1993, the Brady Prevention Act. It was named after him. It was just a law requiring a waiting period for buying a firearm. It was passed by uh, Bill Clinton. This was interesting. He passes away in 2014. But it's technically due to the shooting in 1981. He lived another 33 years, but the cause of his death was brain trauma caused by the bullet. So the, the coroner says, you know, this is a murder. He's, he was technically murdered. But Hinckley can't be charged with the murder because Hinckley's already been pled by reason of insanity. He's been serving time in a hospital. And even more weird washington dc had this this law on the books in 1981 it was called the year and a day law which stated you couldn't be tried for a crime if it was more than a year and a day since that crime happened so because brady lived another 33 years after the shooting this law at the time was real so hinkley could not be charged with the murder that's insane and you Bro, you know why that law was fucking made, man, right? Because you can't charge sitting Congress people and politicians uh, with crimes like that, like with crimes until they're out of office. So if they do like some illegal shit in office and once their term's over, clearly most likely a year and a day will have passed and they're all yep. past the statute of limitations. Which That's fucking wow. nuts. Lastly, about John Hinckley, I've heard these stories, but I didn't know how crazy it was. Hinckley's motivation for this. So he sees the movie Taxi Driver with Robert De Niro, mm -hmm. and it's Jodie Foster's first film. She's like 17 or 18 years old. At, I think she was like 15. Life. No, I think yeah. she was 15 in real life. Yeah, she was She was young. Oh, yeah, she like an 18-year-old or something. I've seen the movie. Something I, just, like I don't this. remember what it was. But it was, he, he falls in love with her. He stalks her. Yeah. He's writing her letters. She goes to Yale University, so he enrolls in a course at Yale University, thinking he's going to, like, bump into her. So he's on his <laughs> way. He takes a train. He's going up to Yale, up to New Haven, Connecticut, but the train stops in Washington, D.C., and while he's there, he's like, oh, it just so happens the president's making a public speech today. He's like, today's the day. I'm going to do it today. I'm going to show her I mean business and, like... His reason was not political in 
any way, which is very strange because Reagan is one of the most polarizing presidents we've ever had. But his motivation was not anything political. It was really just he wanted to be famous so Jodie Foster knew who he was and that yeah. she would like fall in love with him and marry him. That was it. And if you're I, do I just it. always found that story crazy. Yeah. And to this day, Jodie Foster, I, and I, I think she's a great actress, by the way. I love her. She has only talked about it like on very, very rare occasions. She doesn't want to be associated with it. She yeah, doesn't man. want the notoriety of it or anything like that. Hinckley has been released. He is still alive as well. He's apologized for his actions. He has undergone therapy and medication treatments. He claimed he's been interviewed. He's claimed he's a changed man and he, yeah. he move on with his life. So wait, let me get this straight. So currently right now, uh, there are three people who walking around free in the United States who tried to kill presidents. Like they're just, yeah. they're, they're just yeah. out. Huge backstory on the Hinckley family. The John Hinckley's family was very close with the Bush Prescott family. Yes. Really? Oh, really? We need That's to do, we need to attack them. Yeah, we we've Especially talked we've talked quite about Prescott Hinkley, Bush. Like John's brother was like like a lawyer, I think, and he was really close with you know the father Bush, and they went on vacations together. And yeah, yeah. So wow, conspiracy time. Yeah, those, yeah, those Bushes are fucking dirty, now, man. I'm telling you. Jodie Foster was 12 years old when she made Taxi Driver. Really? 12. 12. Shit. 12 and years she old. She played like a 17 yeah. or 18 year old, I think. Crazy. Very good movie, by the way. Very good. Movie. Fantastic movie. There was definitely some backlash about her playing that role at the age of 12 years old. Um, but yeah. yeah, man, that's that is fucking bonkers to think that there are three people walking the streets right now who legitimately took shots at a sitting president of the United States. Yeah. This person's paroled. This person's paroled. I'm like, what? I thought you like, yeah, they all had life sentences and they all got paroled for it. It's crazy. How do you like, how do you try to kill the president of the United States, end up in a mental hospital? And then one day they're like, I think you're good. You can, you can go. Just make sure you take your meds, please. You you're know? rehabilitated. <laughs> There's the justice system. <laughs> so as a ridiculous. quick one, totally unrelated, but I put it in my research. There was an attempt on Donald Trump's life when he was, there was a few attempts, but this one was kind of comical. It was in North Dakota in 2017. A man knows that Donald Trump is in North Dakota doing a rally, but he knows it's 2017. He knows all the Secret Service and this and that. So he's like, I'm going to I'm going to attack the limousine. I'm going to get a forklift and I'm going to ram the limousine and I'm going to flip the limousine over. This is his plan. What he does. <laughs> what he does is he <laughs> Wait, wait, it gets better, I promise. I'm sorry. Yeah, the idea is great. Great idea, first off. He steals a forklift from an oil refinery, but the but the theft doesn't work out, and the fork he doesn't know how to drive it. It gets stuck, and he he bails. <laughs> so he's he's fleeing the scene, right? The police catch up to him. The police arrest him. They bring him in for questioning because he's he's breaking. He was going to steal a forklift. So they're questioning him about it, and they're like, "Why why'd you do this?" And he's like, "Well, I was going to assassinate the president." And they're like, "Whoa, whoa, <laughs> what?" <laughs> Oh they're like God. we caught you stealing a forklift he's like yeah I was gonna... and he tells him the whole plan he's like I was going to flip over the car <laughs> yeah. I'm like dude we were going to charge you for burglary what had happened was <laughs> and he just thought they were going to be like oh, oh wait, well you yeah. didn't do it so yeah so instead of getting like a probation sentence he got 20 years in prison for attempted assassination <laughs> oh 
my god! Wow! Oh my god! I really love the story behind the James Garfield killing. Um, I, you know, Charles Guillault is like a French guy. Um, he spent time in the utopian societies. There were utopian villages, and now like by Ithaca in New York, um, like nudist colonies where they're all having free sex and shit. Yeah, um, they threw his ass out. He was so weird. But anyway, he ended up, you know, shooting Garfield in like we were talking about before in Baltimore. But uh, this is the question, right? Garfield took like forever to die. The bullet hit him in the gut, right? So he, like, it was in the summer. So he, you know, it took him like two weeks to bleed out. What invention came into fruition through the United States Army Engineer Corps because of the Garfield assassination? Any guesses? I'm going to say the bulletproof vest. <laughs> One day too late. No. Any other guesses? <laughs> <laughs> Uh, like a tourniquet to stop bleeding? It is air conditioning. Hmm. The first wow. internal homo system, you know, of using air conditioning was built by the Army Engineer Corps to uh, keep Garfield comfortable as he bled out in the summer. Keep him comfortable. Wow. That's yeah. insane. I'm like that's 79% sure that's true. <laughs> <laughs> it will be 100% true on this show, and that's all that matters. <laughs> I really wanted to thank you for inviting me on. You guys are really stellar dudes. Uh, I learned I learned some stuff. Nah, yeah, man. I learned. I laughed. Wow, you yeah, are good, man. That's that's what it's all about, Keith. Please, you are absolutely welcome to come on um, anytime you want, man. We would yeah. love to have you back. I'd love, on, I'd love so to please. be back on. No, we appreciate it, man. All right, bro. All right, awesome, brother. Take care, care, man. Thank right. you. Love and light. Love and light. Later. Later. This story I call Jesus Christ versus Castro. We had talked earlier a couple uh, episodes ago about Operation Mongoose, right? And the idea that all the, all the kind of zany kids are standing up to kill Castro. So this doesn't really kind of fall into necessarily the assassinations and or attempts, right? But I just I just had to put this in there. So if, if you didn't know Operation Mongoose, it was uh, led by this guy named General Edward uh, Lansdale. And uh, he's from the DOD. And, and they really worked closely with the CIA to implement these these different ideas to overthrow and or kill Castro, right? So here's here's where this one kind of gets weird. So General Lansdale and his agents, they designed this plan and it's and it's a three-step plan. Their idea is to convince the people of Cuba that one, the second coming of Jesus Christ had arrived. Two, Fidel Castro was the Antichrist. And three, Jesus wanted the people of Cuba to overthrow the Antichrist. And this was an actual plan within the CIA sat down and they were like, yo, I got this idea. Here's what we got to do. We got to convince Cuba. Jesus just came down and he wants them to get up and take this motherfucker out. And so how they planned on doing this was they were going to use something called star shells. And these star shells are like really super powerful pyrotechnic flares, right? They're designed to like fill up the sky, you know, like really like they like super pyro with tech. And they were going to shoot them out from a submarine. And this submarine was also going to project images of Jesus Christ onto like low lying clouds, you know, off the coast of uh, Havana. And so while this, this, uh, this image of Christ was, was appearing over Havana, a military plane camouflaged by clouds and using a new techni uh, technique that, that uh, muffled plane engines, they were going to broadcast messages from Jesus Christ over a loudspeaker to the people of Cuba 
in Spanish, of course, ordering them uh, by the authority of God himself to overthrow Castro, uh, the the newly named Antichrist. Uh, and they were going to renounce communism and take over the island. Now, obviously, that never happened. Here's the best part, right? They didn't do it because they were like, yeah, but what if but what if they see the submarine or like one of the planes? <laughs> <laughs> that was the problem. That was the bad part. <laughs> And they thought, well, if there are any Americans that are on the island, they might get hurt. Like, that was what stopped them. Not the whole second coming of Jesus thing, but it was like, well, what if, what if they see one of the subs? Oh, fuck, I don't think we can. I don't know if we can chance that. <laughs> that scrap it. No good. No good. Let's move on to the, uh, to the exploding shell while he's, uh, while he's scuba diving instead. Um, so, yeah, there, there's the time that the United States thought about using Jesus Christ to kill Castro. Not a horrible idea. Not a horrible no, idea. No, no, no. I thought that was pretty funny. Even if you try it now, Jesus Christ can kill Putin. Is that like a thing? I don't know. Maybe. I mean, um, you know, I mean, it's worth a shot, right? You know, I mean, who knows? we just recycle a lot of things that we do in history. So, yeah, yeah. Well, they once tried to, um, I don't know if you guys know this, but Hitler, Hitler was a dog lover. Hitler loved dogs. And um, there was one guy who uh, he gave Hitler a puppy as a gift. And um, the only thing was he deliberately, he infected the dog with rabies, you know, like that it would bite Hitler. And uh, unfortunately, though, the, the, he bit a, a servant before it got to Hitler. And uh, they, got the, they got the dog out of there. So Hitler was almost taken down by a rabid uh, rabies infected puppy. That's crazy. All right. There's this guy named Jor Janich. And uh, Jorg Janitz was a real son of a bitch. Uh, he lived in the 1600s. He was part of the Thirty Years' War. He was a Swiss political leader. He was more memorably. He brutally killed one of his political rivals. And the guy's name was Pompeius von Planta. Apparently, this dude, um, Jorg Janitz, he goes to von Planta's own castle, because it's the 1600s and they have castles. Supposedly, the story goes is that he kills Planta with a with an axe, and not only does he kill him with an axe, but he hits him in such a way that he like he leaves Planta pinned to the floor of his own castle with the axe through his body, complete like just barbarian. Years later, this guy Janach, he's having a party during Carnival, and uh, it's a celebration before Lent, and. Having a good time. And uh, if you've ever seen Carnival before, and even, you know, at this time in 1600 Carnival, people dress be funny. This man approaches Janash and he is, uh, he's, a, he's wearing, he's dressed as a bear. You know, doesn't really think much of the, the costume as, you know, they were very common disguises. And uh, suddenly the, mayor, the bear pulls out an axe. Uh, and he, right out there in front of everybody, he hacks Janash to death. And reportedly, it was the same axe that uh, he had used earlier to kill Planta. And um, it's uh, nobody ever found out who it was, but there are a lot of theories. And one of the, th the theories is that uh, it was Planta's young son who came back and killed Janach with the axe. So the Swiss politician, Georg Janach, that was murdered by an axe-wielding bear. You know, there were people in the crowd like, is, is this part of the show? I think... Oh my god, this is this looks real. Look, and there's an angry dad, like, it's just fake, don't listen, don't, don't cry. Yeah. <laughs> He'll get up any second now, it's all right. Look, it's not even real blood. He's gonna yeah. pop out of the thing in a second, don't worry. 
All right, I guess it's uh, my turn. Yeah, Bill, go for it. It's all you, buddy boy. All right, well, I'm going to take us way back to the time of 19, October 6th, 1981. You remember 81, Smith? No, because you weren't fucking born yet. So listen, <laughs> this is where we are. We're in Egypt, and the Egyptian president, Anwar Sadat, was assassinated mm. by members of the Egyptian Islamic Jihad. This terrorist group was upset about a peace treaty that was signed two years prior between Egypt and Israel. And ah, with Jimmy was, Carter. Yes. Now, this treaty, um, it earned Sadat, the, actually earned him the, the Nobel Peace Prize. It, it, it ended like 40 years of conflict between these two nations. Mm. So that being said, it's a great thing. But if you're a hardcore Islamic state, this is also the first time that an Arab nation recognized Israel as a state. So mm. this is a huge slap in the face to every, all these other Islamic nations. I rode people the wrong way a lot, and they felt like Sadat betrayed him and the Palestine cause. Now, because there were so many unhappy people around his home state, he was surrounded by security guards constantly. But the problem was, was that he really liked having his annual military parade, which celebrated his win over the Israelis of Yom Kippur. Okay. So he would march these people out and they would do this nice parade across the way and he would sit there and you know enjoy himself in the nice sun you know saying yeah this is all me but he didn't expect his own troops to hop out of the back of a convoy approach him and as he's there approaching him he's like oh let me give him a nice salute and they all pull out a bunch of ak-47s and blow him away in front of him (laughs) holy shit bro everybody in the process, they wound up killing, like, 11 people, and he died, like, two hours later in the, uh, at the hospital. But they just, they rolled up, they rolled up with a bunch of AK-47s, they blew them away and threw a bunch of grenades in this little stands where they sit and wound up killing 11 other people in the process. Holy shit. Yeah, yeah right in front of everybody. And one of the Fucking people that actually man. survived was the vice president. And the vice president then wound up taking the reins and... and and I think he was divided. He wound up being becoming the president for like the next twenty years after that. My oh, wow. God, I was gonna say how quickly was he killed afterwards? But apparently he's got yeah, better no, security. Yeah, he actually they, they liked him, so they left him alone. So my <laughs> one was a little short and sweet, but I just wanted to at least get you know that one blew my mind because you see these dictators all the time having these fucking parades, and it all it take all it took was like a, a group of these guys to say, you know what, fuck this guy, I got a plan. <laughs> Yeah. And they, they wind up arresting these guys and they put them to death too, but they, they put it all on the line right there. No, I was going to say, it's brilliant. Like, how do oh, yeah. you get close to the president fully yeah. armed, right? You know, and, and how, do you, how do you do that? You, you use his dick measuring parade, you know, against him. And it was an annual dick measuring parade. Like, he did this every year. Like, what were you, what, you, you, you gave it right to them. What were you yeah. thinking? It was fucking brilliant, man. That was yeah, actually really, really smart. Yeah. Wow. I never, and, you know, you, like I said, you see these things happen all the time. I've never heard of that one. Like, when I found no. that out, I was like, that's, that's unbelievable. Holy shit. Talk about putting a statement down. Yeah. Like, I, I mean, I knew Anwar Sadat. I knew about the Nobel Peace Prize and, and the assassination. But I, I had no idea that it was that fucking blatant and, yeah. and just 
you know, like literal broad daylight in front of everybody. In front of everybody. Like they all hopped out the back of the truck and he thought, you know, oh, they're all coming to stand in front of me, maybe flip the gun a couple of times, you know, and then hop back in and leave. Nah, they just walked right out to him. He does his little salute and he, then he's looking down the barrel of AK-47s like, oh, fuck. Wow. Oh, man. Is there a video they, out there? Um, I don't, you know, I didn't see a video. I only saw a couple of documentaries about it. No, no, I mean, wow. like, if there's an actual, like, video, like, when they did it. Because, I mean, usually when they do things like that, when they put it on a big parade like that, yeah, they want people to see it. Like, they, there's TV, there's recordings. Like, yeah. I mean, I get it, it's the 80s, but still, I feel like it would have been recorded. I saw, a lot of, I saw a lot of still shots. Yeah, I can see that. I'm looking at still pictures of it. Yeah, like, it's, le- like, yep. There's a whole stand. He's sitting in a stand yep. with a whole bunch of people. And there's there's guys just pointing AKs right at him. Yep, I had never heard of this one, and that's 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 an insane assassination plot. I I can't believe that like I've I've never I've like yeah. been clued into that. Yep, there's a video of it. Uh, well, there is video so far. He's sitting in the stands. He's watching planes fly overhead. Looks like there are soldiers firing in the air. There's a convoy. Oh, nope, it's not in the air. That, I think that's the actual attack. Yep, that's the actual attack. So they're not actually have, they don't have video because the, the guy with the camera is like huddling down yeah. trying to, uh, yeah, save himself. And it's just chaos and they are just firing into the stands and they're trying to get people out of there. And this was his own military, you said? It wasn't like a terrorist group? No, no, this was this was this was terrorists inside his military organization that were pissed off at him because of the peace treaty that he signed. So these this, these people were part of his military. This wasn't like sleeper cells or anything like that. And they just they just turned on him. They just cooed. Oh, yep. Yeah, exactly. dude. All right, and now for my second one. Okay. Imagine being an assassin, right? Mm-hmm. Without knowing that you're an assassin. Like, uh, uh, what do they call that? Um, Manchurian candidate. Thank you. That's what I was thinking of the Manchurian candidate. Yeah. Okay. Perfect example. Then. So this one happened quite, quite a bit sooner than, uh, the, uh, last one I told you. This one happened in February 13, 2017. Hmm. Now this is, uh, an Indonesian woman named Sitai Asaya and a Vietnamese woman named Dohoi Tai Hong were approached by what they thought were TV producers to be a part of a prank show, a hidden camera prank show, right? Now, the prank that they were consistently pulling over the, over the couple of weeks before the assassination was um, they would hang out at the airport uh, and they would run up behind people and put, like, cream or oil or baby lotion or whipped cream on people's faces and then run away. And then... They would come, so another person would walk up to these people and be like, oh, no, it's just a joke. And they would point over to an area where they said were cameras, but there were never any cameras. Mm-hmm. So on February 13th, 2017, King Wang Nam, Nam, who is the brother of the, we all know who he is, the brother of yep. the dictator in, in North Korea. Kim Jong-un. All right, so he was walking through the airport, and when the, so-called TV producers spotted him. They pointed him out to Dong, Hang, Dong Tai Hong. And within minutes, she sneaks up behind him and rubs what she thought was baby oil all over his face and then runs away out of the airport. So now he's looking around. He's like, nah, man. Nah. 
I know my brother wants to kill me. There's something wrong here. So he runs oh, over, he finds somebody right away. And he's like, look, somebody just put something all over my face. I don't know what's going on. And they're like, no, no, calm down. There's this hidden TV show around here. They've been doing it all week. He's like, no, dude, something's wrong. I'm telling you. They just, they got, so they bring him over to a medical tent, medical area. And within two hours, the nerve agent that was put all over his face takes effect and kills him almost instantly. Oh, Jesus. Wow. Yeah. I remember that story. I remember that story. Kim yeah. Jong-un is a sneaky little fucker. Oh, my gosh. They got him good. Was it really a TV? Like, did this? I know this didn't happen on TV, but was there a real TV show that did this? No, there was, was never, there was never any cameras. The, nope. four, the three to four TV, so-called TV producers that were that kept in constant, constant contact with these two female individuals were actually secret agents of the of North Korea. They have videotape of them in an interrogation room and, and being interrogated by North Koreans, and all the North Korean agents are saying to these people are, great job, you did great, good job, that's exactly what we were looking for. Yep. So they plotted a fake TV show. For weeks, like a psyop. Yeah, to like build it up, yep. convince these two people, these two women, and then had them actually perform an assassination. Yep. Brilliant. Pretty fucking epic. Yeah, dude. <laughs> Talk about the long game. Women, they were released after two years, too. And one of them was released after two years, and all charges dropped because they realized how bad they were being duped. And the other one was released a couple of months later, like... Yeah, don't don't worry about it. We we realize what's going on and what happened, so uh, you can go. And these women got after wow. being detained for two years, were just let off scot free. So wait, I, I just want to make sure I understand this. <laughs> they had no idea that they no idea because they, they had been doing it. They had they had done it more than a dozen times weeks prior to this. And then that was just like regular baby oil or cream, whatever. So they played yes. the long game. Yeah. That is absolutely. I don't think I knew that part of the story. That's really. Really sick. Bananas. Like, yeah. that's... Damn. That's bananas. Like, that's And they actually crazy. have video footage of the North Korean... Um, like, the people who interrogated them, the, the TV producers, they actually have footage of them saying, you did a great job, guys. No, that's exactly what we're looking for. Perfect. Thank you. Damn. <laughs> were they that paid is... for this, too? Like, were they paid as... I'm, you know, I'm sure, I, they, they, I, I didn't read anything about that, but I'm sure they were getting a couple of bucks with every hand wiping on face that they got. Yeah, right. I mean, you know, <laughs> you know, like we were just talking about this earlier, but that story really makes me want to rub baby oil on Mike's head right now. I'm like, telling I, like, you, bring it right back. I'm, I was staring at Mike's head the whole time, and I'm like, I just want to put some baby oil on there. <laughs> Somebody approaches you, don't, don't let them rub. Don't let them, um, and now I'm afraid now. <laughs> dude apparently when you're bald you look like every other bald man so like you might be mistaken for somebody that needs to be taken out like i don't know man watch out man <laughs> it's so true but though other part of the story was this proven that it was his bro uh it was kim jong-un who oh yeah orchestrated this yeah, and they they almost knew it immediately like once because he had been well, he killed his his uncle right before that, right? Yeah, yeah. And his brother had avoided stepping foot in Korea, uh, either north or south, for years and years and years. And I think that took place in South Korea. Am I correct? No, no. It actually took it was a different country. Uh, it was in Indonesia. 
Okay, and it was a country uh, he hadn't stepped foot in in a long time, and and like I think he put his guard down. And was like, yeah, whatever, yeah. I'll go. And and they they wiped him up, you know, yep. or wiped him out. Get it? Oh, I see what you did there. That was a good one. I, I, that's that. Yeah, you like that one? That was a good one, <laughs> dude. That was well played, man. That was a... so. There you go. Those were those were my two. Yeah, I, I enjoyed very much, man. I, uh, definitely. Uh, ended us off with a, on a high note, Bill. That was good. You got us away from all the presidents. That's all we were talking about. Yeah, really. yeah. I'm, I'm glad that you, uh, you 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 opted to go last. Good job, man. Wait, uh, but yeah, I just really want to rub baby oil all over Mike now it's like well, I, I also did a fresh shave today so that's why it's it's it, it's like actually it's kind of blinding to be honest with you. I'm having a little bit of trouble looking at my screen here <laughs> you know it's nice <laughs> well guys I think we had a, a great episode an awesome guest host uh hip Hughes was great I look forward Absolutely. to him coming back um on the show a couple uh you know in the future and, and become a recurring guest I think tonight was a was a badass episode so I, I really enjoyed it guys for all of us over here at uh, the Story of Podcast, we say thank you for listening. Please, please, please uh, subscribe, uh, rate five stars. It helps us become more visible to people around the world. It makes it a lot better for us, and it's also a pretty cool thing that you can do. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Podcast Story of. You find all the happenings and uh, some behind-the-scenes stuff and all that good shit. Stay out there, stay you, stay weird, and remember there's more to history than what's in the books. Adios, fuckers.